Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And we welcome you to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Of the more than 325 interviews we've done over the years, many of the people we've interviewed have used cannabis successfully in dealing with multiple health issues. And today we're talking to a woman who had grand mal seizures as a youngster, breast cancer as an adult, and was involved in a serious traffic accident which she became addicted to pharmaceuticals prescribed by her doctor. But being a cannabis advocate for most of her life, she has survived and is here today to tell us her story. And joining us from Ontario, Canada, is Kim Cooper. Kim, it's good to finally meet you and talk to you. Thanks very much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here with the two of you. Uh, I have followed what you guys have been doing for a very long time, uh, and I'm thrilled to be participating in your podcast today. Kim, what would your state of health be like today if cannabis wasn't part of your life? Oh, I don't think I would be here. Uh, I honestly do not think um, I would have survived until you know, my, my last 60 years without the use of cannabis. Uh, over the years, I've suffered many chronic conditions that cannabis has helped me with. Uh, if, if a grand mal seizure didn't affect my brain, then I'm sure the breast cancer would have taken me or addiction. At one point, um, I was uh, addicted to some pretty heavy pharmaceuticals. Uh, if I would have stayed on that path, I'm, I'm not sure I would have survived. Let's go back to the very beginning with your grand mal seizures. They started at the age of 12. And uh, yeah. take us through that. Uh, puberty. Uh, this happens uh, it, with a lot of people that uh, wind up with epilepsy, diagnosed with epilepsy. The onset of puberty is what triggered my seizures. A few years after uh, having the seizures, we found out that I, I was diagnosed with having a small brain tumor, and that's uh, my going through pubescence is what triggered uh, the reaction in that in that tumor to uh, to start my epilepsy. Um, I was on phenobarbital and dilantin, two pretty heavy uh, pharmaceuticals for about two years. Uh, They started me on those when I was 13 years old. And uh, I had no life as a teenager. Everything was taken from me. I I lived in bed, had no energy, and uh, was a young junkie, so to speak. Well, that dilantin is horrible. Yeah. 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 Peanut barb is is really bad as well. Yeah, Yeah. and it did. Wow. Yes, Mm. and it did. Dental issues uh, since since I was a teen. Yeah. Tell us how uh, you started smoking pot. Um, through uh, my teenage years, I was I was a fairly rebellious teen. Uh, I I grew up in in the social services system, Uh, so I was in amongst foster homes and group homes and that kind of thing uh, throughout many years of my life. And uh, that leads to some some really rebellious behavior 
in, in the use. And you've got to you've got to put this in context. This was back in the 70s. You know, we're talking 75 through 79 um, is uh, the majority of my experience where it where it all began. Uh, so rebelling uh, through my teenage years, you know, after school, uh, friends getting together with friends and, and we'd get our hands on some, some pot and it's, you know, in the back of the schoolyard smoking joints after school. Um, it started off as a rebel thing and I noticed that uh, my seizures had become less. I had been on the phenobarb and the dilantin for just over a year by then and uh, I noticed a decrease in the seizure activity. I just thought they were going away. Um, not knowing too much about my condition and just figured well it came and it started and now it's, it's just leaving. So uh, I started rebelling against my foster parents at that time and I started refusing to take my pills. Uh, I said, no, I'm not taking them. I'm not having seizures anymore. I'm good. So I'm not taking the pills. And uh, I never really put it together with the cannabis until after a visit with the doctor where my foster mom uh, used an opportunity to rat me out <laughs> to <laughs> the doctor. Um, so 14 years old and I'm sitting in the doctor's office in my mom, foster mom, pops up and says, well, you know, she stopped taking her pills and she's smoking that pot, she says to the doctor, <laughs> to the neurologist. And um, I sat straight up in my chair being the rebellious teen that I was. And I said, yep, that's right. I'm not taking the pills no more and I'm not having no more seizures. And I like smoking pot. And uh, I thought I was going to get reamed on. And uh, to our surprise... The doctor shifted himself around in the chair a little bit and said, well, you know, there's a scientific study that is has uh, put seizures activity on a decline with people that consume marijuana. And marijuana used to be uh, one of the medicines that we would prescribe to people um, before it became illegal uh, in the 60s. Well... I almost fell over and my mother's jaw hit the floor and uh, my social worker that was with us was just dumbfounded, didn't know what to do. And I was jumping for joy in my chair, just thinking, yeah, this is what I want to hear. And, and at the time, I was strictly recreational. I didn't know anything about the medicinal values of cannabis, and I was not using it as a medicine. I want that to be clear. It was very young in the, in the late 70s, so I didn't have a whole lot of information at that time. But I was just ecstatic at the fact that somebody was telling me it was okay for me to smoke pot. That was a very enlightened doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he was. He, he was a European, uh, um, actually uh, uh, Scandinavian, uh, I think, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was very educated on uh, natural substances and the history of cannabis. Looking back now at the way he spoke, I think he was a cannabis consumer. Uh well, so when did you connect the dots that there was actually um, a med medicinal uh, purpose for cannabis? That day, uh, the light bulb went on. Uh, I took this yeah. newfound information and I, I went out and home and 
I scoured. I mean, again, back in the 70s, we didn't have Wi-Fi. We didn't have internet. We didn't have smartphones. So I was at the library, um, the public library, going through microfiche. Uh, for anybody that's older out there that would remember <laughs> microfiche, that's the yeah. way you got all of these archived documents and newspaper articles uh, that were, you know, ancient history. And, and you'd sit there on this big machine putting this little card in and just reading article after article and scouring uh, historical documents for any reference to cannabis or at that time we were using the term marijuana and uh, I found a lot of information that was buried in those library archives and I took it and I ran with it and I haven't stopped running since. Now you moved to West Virginia for a year did you not? I did. I lived in the wonderful state of West Virginia, little teeny town called Ripon, West Virginia, just outside Charleston. Um, I worked at the Charleston racetrack, and uh, I met my birth father there. He's a uh, native Indian, and he uh, lives in West Virginia, and he ran a horse farm down there. And I went and uh, visited with him and met him for the first time after I discovered who he was, and we had some conversations. I decided to make the leap and go and meet him. Uh, when I got down there, he gave me a tour of his house and he was showing me his yard and what do I see lined up along the fence line but a glorious row of cannabis plants and these things had to be over six feet tall nice big bushes they resembled more of a of a pine tree than they did of a, of a cannabis plant that I had been used to seeing I almost fell over it's like, so maybe this is where I get it from. <laughs> what, was the, uh, what was the general attitude in Virginia towards cannabis back then? Oh, it was uh, completely demonized. I mean, if uh, he had been caught with those plants, he would have been looking at 30 years in jail at that particular time. West Virginia had uh, rolling papers were illegal, so they didn't even sell pouch tobacco because they would not sell rolling papers. Uh, they were that strict. All of the consumption that we did while I was in West Virginia, we made our own pipes, literal corn cob pipes, you know, finding rocks and seashells and stuff to decorate them with, uh, so using straws and, and, and sheets of uh, pieces of bamboo for the spouts. Um, I had more fun making pipes, I think, down there than anything else. <laughs> now, Kim, you were there for a year and you in West Virginia for a year, and then you came back to Canada. And at the age of 22, you got pregnant and decided to quit smoking cannabis. What happened? Yeah, I, I was worried. It was my first pregnancy. It was going to be a first-time mom. Um, you know, you want to do everything right for your child. That's that's the objective of all parents that uh, are ready to give birth and expecting a child. You want to do the right thing through your pregnancy. I wasn't sure about cannabis use and the effects on the baby. I hadn't done a lot of research on that. and There wasn't a lot of information out there that was ready avail readily available. So uh, I quit for a little while and I thought, well, you know, maybe it's better for the baby if I don't do this while I'm pregnant. 
uh, within a matter of a week of quitting uh, using cannabis on a daily basis, my seizures returned. Uh, I had a small grand mal seizure within a few days, and then a few days later, I had a major grand mal seizure that uh, really took me out. And the effects of those seizures on the unborn child as far as I was concerned, far outweighed my use of, of, of using cannabis. Okay, using cannabis and going back to using cannabis to control the seizures was the only option that I could see. I was not ready to take a pharmaceutical drug that uh, I was going to ingest orally because I thought that would have more detrimental effects on the unborn child than consuming um, oral consumption or, or uh, vaporization or inhalation of uh, cannabis. I found as the only option for me to to keep the baby safe and to keep me seizure free while I carried her. You know, Kim, one so. of the very fascinating things that I read in your blog when you told your story is that when you were delivering the baby, you had a grand mal seizure. Tell us about that. I did. I did. Uh, uh, I was uh, I was four days in labor. Uh, in a very very rough labor. My uh, my daughter still to this day is extremely stubborn. She was stubborn coming out, and she's still stubborn at the age of thirty six. Um, <laughs> she didn't want to come. I went into labor, and uh, she got to a point, and then she just kind of stopped and wanted to stay there, nice and comfy. So four days of that in the hospital, walking back and forth. Of course, there was no cannabis. Con- consumption uh, in the hospital and, and I wasn't able to, uh, to to use my cannabis for that four days. When she was finally arrived and I was delivering her, she got about halfway out and my doctor noticed that I was going into a seizure. Um, they literally ripped her out of me. They pulled her out as fast as they could so that I didn't harm her by clamping down on her during a grand mal seizure. Um, but that was, that was four days without cannabis and bang, the seizures were back. Uh, I could have killed her if uh, you know she was halfway out. I could have strangled her with the the uh, convulsions that I was having. I would have clamped down on her neck, and uh, it was it was very traumatic thing for me to go through because when I woke up, that was my first thought. Oh, where's the baby? Is the baby okay? Um, it was a pretty scary situation. So four days without consumption, and my seizures were back. Wow. Now, you have uh, three children. Were they all as difficult to deliver as your first? All of them. They were all late. They weren't as difficult as the first, but they were all late. Um, I I don't know. I guess I have a cozy womb. They don't want to leave. Uh, (laughs) They were all late, but the other three did arrive uh, without complication. I I didn't have days in labor with the others, and uh, I consumed cannabis through all three pregnancies. The final two, I didn't uh, didn't take a break. I didn't stop, and I, I didn't have any seizure activity uh, that would interfere with the uh, with the development of the baby or the delivery. Now, do those seizures continue to be at bay today? Yes, I went twenty five years seizure free. I had one seizure just this past summer, first one I have had in twenty five years, and it was it was caused from. A, a, 
a perfect storm of of incidences that happened. There was, you know, some stressors that were happening. There was uh, a lot of stuff that was going on. Just a perfect storm of of circumstances came together. And I did have a minor grand mal seizure this year, but that was the first one I've had in 25 years. Wow, that is incredible. That is incredible. Kim, how did uh, breast cancer uh, impact you? When did that happen? I, I found out, uh, I was diagnosed when I, I found a lump in my breast and I went and I got it checked and uh, it, it turned out to, they wanted to do a biopsy and it, it was breast cancer. Uh, my mother passed away from breast cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was in her 20s, held it at bay for a number of years. It came back in uh, two other spots within her body and it, it eventually took her by the time she was, she was only 50 years old when she passed away. So when I got diagnosed, um, I got pretty scared and uh, I dove back into cannabis again and I was, you know, hearing about Rick Simpson oil and uh, using Rick Simpson oil for, uh, for cancer and so I dove back into the research and I said, well, I have to find out more about this um, and uh, I started making my oil. I used it as a paste, as a topical after the surgery, they had surgery to remove the lump. I used it as a paste on top of the area um, and I started taking the, the RSO capsules every day and uh, I fought it that way. I went back for an exam. They did want to do chemotherapy given my history. Uh, I went back for an exam three months after my surgery and through blood work and exam they found no cancer. Well, so was this, um, do you know Kim or do you recall if it was hormone driven or triple negative or triple positive or what? I really back then I really don't know. I didn't do yeah. um, a lot of due diligence. I was that was after my car accident, and uh, I wasn't uh, in a clear frame of mind from a lot of the pharmaceuticals that I was on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long did it take for you to get clear? Uh, clear, clear minded or clear from. Either. Clear from cancer. Clear from cancer. I remained cancer free for about six years. Then uh, I found another lump. They did more surgery, uh, biopsies, and, and came back. It was cancer once again. But I had stopped taking the RSO. Um, after I got cleared the first time, I thought, okay, well, I'm good. So I stopped taking the RSO, mm -hmm. and that gave the cancer a chance to come back. Um, I didn't know you were supposed to stay on it for life at that time. I thought, okay, it's that job. I'm good to go. So I, I didn't do a maintenance dose, and that was my biggest mistake. Uh, it gave the cancer a chance to come back. So uh, another lump, more surgery. I did the same protocol again, and I have not stopped taking the RSO. Now I do a maintenance dose every day, have done ever since my second surgery, and still to this day, I am now cancer-free. Fantastic. Amazing. That's great. Now, in 2002, uh, within two years of the car accident, you were on 16 pills a day and wearing a narcotics patch. Tell us about the car accident and what life was like for you after that. 
Yeah. Um, I was coming home from work. I drove transit bus uh, for one of the smaller cities uh, just on top of Toronto. And uh, I was on my way home from work and I was uh, highway driving one of our major 400 international highways that we have here, uh, major highways that we have here. And uh, high speed. Uh, so it was it was a bad accident. It was a multi-car pile up. Uh, several vehicles that were involved. I was basically sandwiched between two cars. I broke my back. I had several uh, discs out of place in my spine, uh, arm damage, neck damage, a lot of ligament damage and that kind of thing. Uh, hospitalized for several months and uh, in traction. So uh, I had people bringing me in cannabis while I was in the hospital, <laughs> and uh, nurses were yelling and screaming because we were we were smoking cannabis in the room, and, and people were bringing me in my my capsules and edibles and all kinds of things while I was in the hospital. Uh, when they uh, released me from the hospital, I was on 16 pills a day. And within one year, that increased to 16 pills a day plus a 150 milligram fentanyl patch. Uh, I went, you know, six, eight years just with not a lot of recollection of that time. It's, it's a very, it's a haze, it's a fog, uh, bits and pieces scattered here and there. Um, I, I stopped being a mother to my children. I stopped being a wife to my husband and my husband became my caregiver. Did you realize you were addicted to them? No. Mm -hmm. No. They ramp you up slowly. I mean, by the time I got out of that hospital, I was eating all the pills because of the pain uh, that you're in initially from the car accident. By the time uh, you're addicted to all of this stuff, you're now in such a fog, you can't think straight. So mm -hmm. you don't even see what's happening to you. It's happening at such a slow rate and, and for such a long period of time. There is there is no time for an awakening because you're just in a fog. I was on a, a morphine drip while I was in the hospital. And then when they released me with pills, the pills weren't enough to replace that morphine drip that I was on for several months. So I would complain, hey, it's not working on the pain. So they'd up the dose, then they'd up the level, and then they'd up the pill. And you'd go from, you know, Percocets to Percodon to morphine to fentanyl. And uh, they just keep giving you more. Mm -hmm. Were you consuming cannabis at all during this period? Yeah, I still smoking uh, my joints and stuff for my seizures. I mean, it's it's been part of my life, my entire life. I've really not stopped that. Mm -hmm. But my consumption levels decreased dramatically, um, where cannabis was my go-to for pretty much anything. I got a headache, I'm smoking a joint. I don't feel well, I'm smoking a joint. Anything's out of whack, I'm in a bad mood, I'm smoking a joint. Um, and, and that was my life for, you know, a, a couple of decades already. Uh, by the time the car accident happened, but with the pills and the fog, you're not thinking clearly. And at the times that I would normally reach for a joint, I was at now at the point where I was reaching for an Ativan or uh, antidepressant or, you know, a nerve pill. How long were you in this state? 
eight years eight years uh 10 year almost 10 years by the time i woke up uh and i literally just had a moment of clarity one day sitting on my couch i don't know where it came from what caused it i have no idea but it was just it was a moment of clarity and i i just sat on my couch and i'll never forget it uh sitting there and i just i kind of looked around and i felt like where am i i i don't know where i am and i was looking around and i was just confused and I just looked at my husband and I just said how did I get here what's going on and and I realized it's okay it's been eight years what happened Mm -hmm. and I just started sobbing I was devastated my life was gone so wow. how how did you uh, how did you get off the pills? Me, me, myself, and I, mm-hmm. and my my will and my determination, and I owe it all to that moment of clarity. Uh, my husband's support. I wouldn't have been able to get through this without him. I I told him I said I'm done. I can't do this no more. I don't want these pills. And I started, you know, researching about getting off the pills. I spoke to the doctor about it. The doctor said, No, no, no. You can't get off the pills. You need the pills. And, da, 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 da. and then that just made me more determined to get off them because he wasn't listening to me. And so I went off and did my own research as I always do. And I said, Okay, well, I got to learn how to do this. And I found out, Okay, you got to do it slow. You've got to do one pill at a time. And you've got to decrease slowly. You can't go cold turkey or you wind up in organ failure. I could wind up back in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want that because they'll only put you on more pills if that happens. So uh, methodically, slowly, over the course of four and a half long years, it took me to get off of every one of those pharmaceuticals. So did you actually put together a game plan of how you were going to do this? So obviously you were de- decreasing the pills, et cetera. Did you kind of put in, uh, okay, so when I'm supposed to take this pill instead, I'm going to have a hit of a joint or how did you do it? Yeah. Yeah. I started using edibles and I started consuming uh, more cannabis. I, I increased my, my cannabis consumption for every pill I got rid of. I increased my cannabis and the methods that I was using to ingest. Uh, I started using topicals, edibles, uh, and, and finding out more and more about different methods to use cannabis. The more uh, every pill I got rid of, I added in more cannabis dosing as my my pills went down, my cannabis consumption went up. So when you're titrating like this and you're you're in you know substituting the cannabis for the pills, what was the pain level like? What was the pain control like? Did you notice an increase in the pain control? Decrease? Um, increase? Absolutely, it was an increase, and a lot of that. Um, was I believe psychosomatic as well. Um, you know, you get you get into habits. You know, with our body, the body knows if you do this, it hurts. Well, if it's better and you do this and it still hurts, sometimes that's our own brains fooling us because and and a lot of that has to do with the addiction. Um, the addiction signals are going off in your head. Oh, this is going to hurt you. You need a pill. Um, so you'll actually feel pain. 
in order to make you take that pill. And that's the addiction speaking to you. So you have to, first of all, learn the difference between the psychosomatic pain and the real pain. And and finding out the differences and differentiations is extremely important. Um, I, I just kept on increasing my cannabis. If I was in pain, I would lay on the couch and I would put up the pain. It was like, okay, no. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you have to reach for something to stop feeling it. Maybe I need to feel this. Maybe I need to learn how to move differently so that that doesn't happen. Uh, Learning how to get up off a chair differently so it doesn't hurt when you get up off the chair. Then you don't feel the need to reach for a pill. Um, And the cannabis consumption as it increased and as I learned my own body and my own body signals, the pain's started to subside. Uh, I learned proper dosing, uh, proper strain. A lot of it will be strain related as well. If you don't have the right strain that's working for you, you're going to have increased pain. Uh, So I was learning about all of that and getting the right strains in uh, for what I needed. Kim, you said you were on, uh, it took you four and a half years to get off pharmaceuticals. Do you remember the day when you finally did and the next day you didn't take any? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. And it wasn't all that long ago. Um, You know, I've only been pharmaceutical free, completely pharmaceutical free for three years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and And my anniversary date is actually coming up next week. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. What is your what is your cannabis consumption on a daily basis at the moment? Oh, she's oh. a wreck. She's a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty high. Um, I, I haven't actually sat and calculated it for quite some time. Uh, for my inhalation, I have uh, primarily switched over to extracts. I find the extracts um, at a higher dosage level allows me to consu- to inhale less, uh, but get more medicine uh, faster at a higher dose level without uh, inhaling as much. I've switched over to um, vaporization over smoking joints. I smoke very few joints now. Vaporizing, I think, is better on your lungs. I'm not causing damage to my lungs with the smoke, so vaporization is uh, is my go-to, and extracts are are my favorite for sure for the higher dose levels of THC to control all of the symptoms and uh, still allow me to function. So I I I, I probably vaporize about. Uh, well, it's got to be close to a half ounce of concentrates per month. And uh, I use um, RSO capsules. I'm at uh, just under one gram a day every day. I use bath bombs. Um, my soap has cannabinoid therapy in it. I have topicals uh, and I also use suppositories. Wow, you've uh, covered all your bases. That's fantastic. Yes. When you look back, <laughs> when you look back at your your life, and particularly that vague period when you were on pharmaceuticals, and I say vague for you because you indicated that you didn't remember much of it, what goes through your mind? I beat myself up a lot um, because I don't know how I could have allowed myself to get there. 
I, I've been educated on cannabinoid therapy, um, even if it was, uh, you know, limited to pertain to what I needed it for at that time, which was seizure, seizure activity. I don't understand how I allowed myself to get roped in onto that pharmaceutical train so easily. And that's scary because somebody that is educated as I was, uh, that was still able to happen to me. So the novice going into that, somebody that doesn't know anything about cannabinoid therapy or natural therapies out there, really when you look at that, it explains how we have the addiction rates that we have today. Uh, doctors just writing out prescriptions for, you know, you've got a toothache and you're going home with a bottle of Perks now where, you know, 30 years ago you would have been told to take an Advil. Mm-hmm. And and that's the problem today. It's the freewheeling prescriptions. We're getting high-dose narcotics prescribed to us for something that would normally, uh, an aspirin would suffice. And it's scary to me. I, 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 I'm fearful for the future if we don't get this curbed. Um, and if it can happen to me that easily, it can happen to anybody. And we need, uh, we need to get a rein on that. It can be really insidious. Yeah, Kim, how do yeah. your how do your kids uh, feel about your cannabis use? Um, they grew up with it, so to them, it's a normal part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, even when uh, I was, you know, on all of the pharmaceuticals, as I said, I was still consuming cannabis. They grew up with it. It was it's been in the house since they were all born. I used it through my pregnancies. They've seen it their entire lives. That's mommy's medicine. And uh, that's the way they've always viewed it. But they also remember the, the period when you were, uh, the almost 10 years when you were on pharmaceuticals, too. And the difference, yeah. the difference yeah, in no, you. Yeah, they remember that. And they see that and they're like, yeah, you know, they're uh, all three are very much anti-pharma. Uh, my oldest, um, the least amount of anti-pharma, she, she understands the issues with pharmaceuticals, but she's still pro-pharmaceutical, but that's because she wound up being a registered nurse. So she works in a <laughs> hospital as a registered nurse and uh, dispenses these pharmaceuticals on a regular basis. So uh, she's gone over to the other side a little bit. <laughs> you know, she'll come back. I suspect she will. Hey, Kim, what would yeah. you say, what would you say is the most profound or, or memorable thing that cannabis has done for you? I, I, I always come back to it saved my life. Um, there's so much, Corey. Cannabis has been intertwined into my life on so many occasions where it literally saved my life. Um, I, I don't think I would have survived as a teen on the phenobarb and the dilantin. I definitely wouldn't be who I am today if I would have stayed on that path. The cancer coming, it saved my life there. There was no way I was going through chemotherapy. Uh, As soon as I stopped taking the cannabis, the cancer came back. So, uh, you know, I think that would have taken my life for sure, as it did my mother's. After the car accident, that whole pharmaceutical train, I don't think I would be here today if I was still on 150 milligrams of fentanyl uh, changed out every two days. Guaranteed, I would have succumbed to that. It, it's, it's literally saved my life. Uh, three separate occasions. Kim, in conclusion, uh, what advice would you give to people who are 
really on the fence about the use of cannabis for medicinal purposes? Well, what I say to anybody that's, that's unsure, I say, well, you know, it comes down to it's a plant. Uh, you know, we say everything that is on this earth is on this earth for purpose. Uh, whatever God you, you believe in or being that you believe in or higher power that you believe in, you believe that things are here for a purpose. You know, we have water because we need water to live. Uh, we have cannabis because it's a medicine the same as we have everything else on this planet that is living in symbiosis and has a purpose to be here. Um, cannabinoids are, produ- are produced inside a person's body. When one is pregnant, you're producing cannabinoids inside your mother's milk to feed to your child. That is one of the first things that your child will consume contains naturally made cannabinoids produced by the mother. Um, we're supposed to be consuming this in order to provide symbiosis and to have uh, your body live in harmony and and to maintain health, uh, the same as, as anything else that we're supposed to consume, like vitamin C, vitamin D, and all of the under, other wonderful elements out there in nature that keep us healthy. Very well said, Kim. Kim, it was a pleasure to talk to you and uh, a wonderful story. And I'm so glad that uh, you are, I guess you're recovered or you're on the road to recovery, but uh, you're feeling a hell of a lot better than you did uh, for those periods when you were on pharmaceuticals. Thanks very much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure to be here. Uh, Love your show. Thanks, Kim, so much. And uh, yeah, great interview and really like the way you shared about uh, differentiating between the addiction pain. That was, that's, I think, going to be really helpful to people. Thanks, Kim. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, Shoot me a link when it's out and I'll share it. Will do. Bye-bye. And we thank Kim for sharing her story. And if you enjoy our podcasts, we'd love it if you subscribe, rate, and write a review about Cannabis Health Radio on your social media platforms. It really helps us, uh, gets us more people listening. And uh, the more people who listen, the more people can benefit from this information. And we'd also like to thank our listeners for supporting us and sharing our podcast with others who would benefit from hearing these testimonials about the use of cannabis. And our purpose in doing this is very simple. We want to help as many people as we can. And we don't have any advertising. We're listener-supported. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation or a monthly donation, regardless of the amount, go to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and a drop-down menu will show you how you can do that. And it's very easy. We're very grateful for your support, and uh, thanks very much for listening. And I'd also like to thank uh, Ron Zahar for donating his studio time to us, and also Mark in Belgium for posting our podcasts on YouTube and uh, Rumble, which uh, YouTube, we find, has started to censor some of our podcasts. And uh, Rumble just puts them up, and uh, you're free to make your own judgments on it. And thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.